Wait, what? So this happened. I'm Rachel Vallisnor, and this is the podcast Hell is Not the End. Although it feels like just the beginning sometimes. Is anything really the end, though? This podcast is meant to explore the limitless possibilities of one's own soul. Why do people do bad things? Why are there countless happenings beyond understanding? Why, when we are cautioned not to do something, do we just do it anyway? The definition of curiosity, a strong desire to know or learn something. There you have it. I will curiously explore why. Hell is not the end. Why do we torture ourselves? Why, when we have a chance for a little fun, do we choose an accident waiting to happen? Or do we? I know I have discussed many amusement parks in the past with much confusion as well as fascination, but there's always more to the story, so much information available. In saying that, would ever stop us from seeking out that specific thrill and specific ride? Ah, who knows? On November 24th, 2002, at Middlemore Water Park near Bridgewater, Somerset, UK, a 19-year-old Oxford student attempts to conquer a human catapult ride, a very medieval-looking kind of stunt ride where you position yourself in a cradle-type-looking catapult only to be hurled in the air, going up to 60 miles per hour and landing 75 feet away in a safety net. For $66, sounds safe, right? Um, not... At what point does your brain tell you, this is such a great idea? So, since the ride's inception, there had been injuries already reported, including a broken pelvis suffered by one of the ride creator's partners in May of 2000. All riders were weighed and put into a weight class to ensure the force of the catapult was correct. The intention was to catapult a human into the middle of a safety net, not to the side and not to the front. Being a part of the Oxford Stunt Factory team, he was the last of five to participate in this catapult ride for that day. The ones that went before him expressed safety concern about the ride due to the location they landed in, close to the front and not to the safety of the middle. As he rides the human catapult flying through the air to the safety net, he doesn't make it. He is instead launched to the ground below. He dies at a nearby hospital very soon after. No one can say how close he was to the safety net at all, but just that his fall to the ground was very loud and unnerving. It was speculated that he may have been incorrectly weighed and that there was a design flaw of the catapult itself and even possible negligence by the designers of the human catapult ride. Did they really know what they were doing? The ride's designers would be put on trial for manslaughter, but would be acquitted after the trial fell apart. Now it doesn't say why the trial fell apart, it just says that it did. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Do people just decide to build their own rides to make money off of the people to take advantage of their trusting nature, even when they have no experience to back up their actions? Or do they just assume everything will fall into place, no matter what kind of ride they decided to create? and at what risks to those that attempt the ride. Hey, not my fault. They knew the risks, right? Epic failure. In 1893, World's Columbian Exposition would be held in Chicago, also known as Chicago's World's Fair. Chicago beat out several other cities to host this event. It was considered an influential and cultural event and had profound effect in architecture, sanitation, the arts, in Chicago's self-image, 
in America's industrial optimism. Wanting to suppress the Eiffel Tower displayed at the Paris Exposition in 1889, built by Gustave Eiffel, Americans saw a chance to reclaim their prestige. Daniel H. Burnham, the engineer appointed to oversee construction of the World's Fair, met with engineers regularly to design something so spectacular, it would put the French expedition to shame. The Eiffel Tower, bigger, better, mentally catches the ear of George W. Ferris. George was a bridge builder from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. While talks of building a larger-scale Eiffel Tower was a possibility, George had another idea. He didn't want to improve on someone else's idea, but instead he put his efforts into his own original idea. The first Ferris wheel is imagined. The gigantic wheel of steel measured 260 feet tall, had 36 enclosed wooden cars that could hold up to 60 people at the car's capacity, and weighed nearly 90,000 pounds. Sounds safe, right? Hmm. The idea was to be the biggest, most impressive display that would bring thousands of travelers across the world to the great city of Chicago. George was given four months to complete the construction of his wheel in not only the dead of winter, but the coldest winter in living memory. The wheel opened on time and stayed in operation until just after the World's Fair closed. After the closing of the wheel was neglected, it was moved in 1896 to the nearby Lincoln Park and then sold in 1896 when George died of tuberculosis at the age of 37. In 1904, the wheel was moved to St. Louis, Missouri for their World's Fair. In 1906, the original Ferris wheel is slated for demolition. It had only remained in operation for 13 years, but was in such disrepair that dismantling the giant wheel had made more sense than trying to fix it. Maybe the giant that it was contributed to the fact that upkeep became impossible. No one had ever seen such a beast, such a functioning beast. It was said right before the wheel opened, George was not confident in the functionality of the giant, but it was a true success. On the day of demolition, it took 200 pounds of dynamite to start the process of dismantlement. The first charge damaged the foundation, dropping the wheel to the ground. It slowly crumbled to the ground, the large parts of the giant falling on the smaller parts, slowly collapsing on itself. Of course, the wheel wouldn't fall easily. So much work and heart went into it, amazing all who saw it. The cool thing is that although the structure of the original Ferris wheel didn't last forever, its memory always will. Future Ferris wheels continue to be operational to this day. Amusement parks, carnivals, and fairs continuously have Ferris wheels. Ah, success. My hope is that no one has to live in fear, ever. And as always, I will never give up and read the signs. Special thanks to all the reading materials my mom could get her hands on. Internet mostly, thanks to theguardian.com, gizmodo.com, and wikipedia.org. Thanks so much for listening. I am Rachel Valisnor, and this is the podcast, Hell is Not the End. <laughs>